0: Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. the keto show on the primal blueprint podcast and it ain't never go outside because this is your host brad kearns there is no trademark infringement because i'm singing over the original material making in my new creation and then turning it down just in time to not get sued thank you for tuning in to a Q&A show. Always fun and exciting because you guys ask really thoughtful, interesting, and hopefully helpful questions to the broad audience. The same stuff is going on at the Keto Reset Facebook group. So go sign up. We have over 26,000 members going strong. Only started it back in September of 2017 when the book came out, So man, the keto movement is in full swing. It's so exciting to see so many people interested in improving their health, longevity, peak performance, managing disease risk factors, and especially dropping excess body fat, which has been such a frustrating challenge for most of our lives in many cases. And now we realize that we have uh, a wonderful portal to access that ability to be metabolically flexible to drop excess body fat, like snapping our fingers, no problem, once we do all the hard work to get there. That's why the keto reset approach is so important to take it step by step rather than plunge into this like an instant gratification-obsessed modern human. No, that's not what it's all about. I know you can find those kind of programs around, or those quick tips and videos and uh, whatever PDFs, things people yakking out there about how you cut carbs and lose weight. But we have to remember those intermediate steps and what's going on inside the body when we want to stimulate ketone production optimally through calorie restriction or carbohydrate restriction without suffering from that disastrous side effect or uh, sort of plan B mode, which is getting into a fight or flight response and making sugar from your lean muscle tissue, getting into a basically a stressful event when you try to go keto. So, if you're not fat and keto adapted, uh, if you're not fat adapted before you try a distinct period of nutritional ketosis, you will default over into a high stress pattern where you will get your glucose needs met for your ravenous brain via the destructive process of uh, fight or flight gluconeogenesis. That's converting lean muscle tissue into glucose uh, to give your brain the fuel it needs when you restrict dietary carbs. Conversely, if you've built up the metabolic machinery to, for example, fast comfortably until midday, and when I say comfortably, I mean you're not obsessed about food, you're not dragging, you're not whining, feeling decline in cognitive function or mood. You're just cruising right along, and you can uh, take it or leave it when it comes to breakfast and still be a peak performer. That's when you're getting these indications that you're ready for keto. Uh, take a look at the ketoreset.com com website and the mastery course that we have laid out for you because it really will guide you step by step with these bite-sized educational opportunities. The videos have been categorized so beautifully entitled and organized so that you can carry on, get the particular help you need on those problem areas, whether it's the complementary lifestyle factors, uh, the the exercise component, handle the sleep component, or get right into the nitty-gritty of the macros and understand things that don't quite make sense when you're trying to process information from all sides, you just log into this beautiful portal, accessible on mobile as well if you're bored at work or on the subway, and we take you all the way through. So I highly recommend that. And there's your commercial for this episode, ketoreset.com. Um, I, uh, out of the kindness of my heart, because I appreciate you listening to the podcast, I'm going to give you a 20% discount on your course enrollment. Shh, don't tell anybody or tell anybody you want, but the code is Brad 20, Brad20, B R A D 20. You drop that into the discount field and you are rocking and rolling with a huge discount. The course is totally worth it. We have so many uh, great feedback from people and also have wonderful pointed feedback with suggestions or constructive criticism where we're like, thanks, man. I'll alter that. I'll reshoot that video, whatever it takes, uh, because you make a good point and we need to be more clear about that or tone down our enthusiasm for something that uh you know i have a tendency to come out with a ton of enthusiasm and in the process maybe overlooking uh some of the uh the contraindications right so uh let's not get too breezy when we talk about the wonderful benefits of keto so here are some great questions and the first one uh comes from the editor of a magazine i forget which one uh but they uh wrote in and said um, can you answer this question Why aren't you losing weight on the keto diet? So I hit those guys hard. I'm like, sure, we'll hit you with this question. Please print it in your magazine. Oh, is it called Insider Magazine? Okay, so look for that. It might be an online publication. I'm not sure. I don't read magazines. I'm too busy not reading books, mostly watching videos, making videos, making podcasts today. It's the way it goes, man. Modern life. Why aren't you losing weight on the ketogenic diet? There is no simple blanket answer here, but. We shouldn't even discuss weight loss until you are certain that you're metabolically healthy. Many people, including clean eaters, suffer from gut dysfunction. Hand raised right here, man. Can you believe this? I've been eating very, very clean, primal aligned for 10 years now. Uh, Mark and I first got going on the Primal Blueprint in June of 2008. So here we are uh, recording in July 2018. Wow, and we all look the same. Mark and I especially. Blonde hair everywhere. (laughs) Uh, So I've been going very clean, very few departures. I mean, I don't know, Cheesecake Factory three or four times a year back in the old days, and in the last couple few years, it just hasn't tasted the same. So I've even put aside my very last uh, bastions of sugar indulgence and tending toward those Um, wonderful high-fat indulgences like uh, dark chocolate, dark chocolate connoisseur for sure. So anyway, I did my comprehensive peak performance testing and evaluation program at nourishbalancethrive.com. Go check it out. They have a free quiz on the homepage to see what they're all about and determine if you may be suffering from gut dysfunction yourself or adrenal dysfunction. Anyway, I got all this testing back. I did extensive blood, stool, urine, saliva, semen. Just kidding on the last one. Just make sure you're listening. But I got extensive testing and found out that indeed I had signs of yeast overgrowth even though I hadn't touched that nonsense for many, many years in terms of uh, the sugar and the refined carbohydrates that tend to lead to uh, that condition of yeast overgrowth. So uh, these guys addressed it. Dr. Tommy and Chris Kelly gave me some targeted supplementation, of course carrying on with my uh, exceptional dietary habits and high food standards. But man, we all need a little help, and there's all kinds of ways you can get messed up. I blame my uh, string of health misfortunes surgery for a burst appendix and complications afterward that resulted in three uh, kidney surgeries. So I had a ton of antibiotics in 2015 uh, for, what, a couple months there where I was a medical patient and visiting my doctors and hospitals for the first time in 20 years. Uh, And I still think I possibly could be suffering from that bomb of antibiotics during that time. And who knows, for whatever other reason, living in a polluted, stressful modern life. Just got back from Mexico, had a wonderful vacation in the sleepy surf village of Sayulita, which has now come to be a popular tourist attraction. And I don't know, man, I picked up something there. Haven't been feeling great for a week, finally pulling out of it. But we get hit with all kinds of things at the point. Even if we are clean eaters. How's that for an aside in the middle of a sentence that lasted, what, a couple minutes? Few minutes? Anyway, many people suffer from gut dysfunction. This kind of stuff needs to be addressed first. Ditch junk foods. Eat colorful, nutrient dense foods. Get more sleep. Then you have to build some metabolic flexibility. First, by escaping carb dependency and becoming fat adapted. You'll know where you stand when you try to skip breakfast or another meal and either feel fine or start getting hangry. When you can comfortably fast from around 8 p.m. to 12 noon, that's 16 hours, with stable energy, mood, and cognitive function, you can then consider a foray into nutritional ketosis and expect to efficiently drop excess body fat over time. But you gotta make sure your exercise, sleep, and stress management are optimized. If you're a high-stress High flying person running on fumes all day. That is directly correlated with carbohydrate dependency. What happens is that high stress pattern without interruption, without balance, uh tends to uh overstimulate your prominent hunger hormone ghrelin and dysregulate your prominent satiety and fat storage hormone leptin. This is especially the case when You expose yourself to artificial light and digital stimulation after dark, whether through entertainment or catching up on emails. After dark is the time when we're genetically optimized to mellow out, calm down, wind down, experience that melatonin onset in our bloodstream that makes us feel sleepy and heavy and ready for a beautiful night's sleep cycling optimally through all the stages of sleep to wake up refreshed and energized near sunrise. That's the story of humanity for two and a half million years until recently when we are cranking on our screens at nighttime. So when you do that, you're going to trend in the the direction of carbohydrate dependency uh, and you're going to override your best efforts in uh, dietary transformation and staying keto. Okay? So when you can comfortably fast for 12 hours, when you have all those other factors optimized, and also making sure that your mineral and electrolyte intake is optimized as you proceed into keto. And what that means is, generally speaking, upping your sodium. Dr. Dom D'Agostino recommends four to eight grams of additional sodium per day when you're going for ketosis, and also adding to your magnesium intake, possibly with a supplement because it's so easy to get deficient in magnesium. Uh, often bantered about is the 400 milligram dose, so you can take that. Most pills are either 200 or 400, and then getting your pet potassium up there. Best way to do that is the avocado king of all potassium. Okay, so let's say you got all that handled, you've been there, done that, everything's grooving, you're cruising along, feeling great on keto, and still aren't dropping excess body fat. Let's examine how much fat you're eating. Many people overconsume fat since they have that permission slip on keto. So if you start your day with a high-fat coffee, down a bunch of fat bomb snacks every time you pass by, and put hefty amounts of butter on everything you eat, there's no stimulus to burn stored body fat for energy. Let me be clear that you could have worse problems than eating a lot of fat and not getting the body fat reduction that you need. We're going to die from... Sugar refined carbohydrate ingestion over our lifetime, which contributes to metabolic syndrome, risk factors, high triglycerides in the bloodstream, type 2 diabetes, obesity, heart disease, cancer. Okay. So, getting the sugar out of your diet is a life or death matter. And if you're eating a bunch of healthy, natural, nutritious fats from whatever sources you prefer, if you're vegetarian and you like a lot of avocados and coconut products and olives and olive oil, Hey, that's not going to kill you, man. Uh if you want to lose weight and you're getting really good and feeling great on keto, then you just tone down your fat intake for a defined period of time, pay more attention to your hunger and satiety signals because when you are ketogenic, when you're limiting your carbs carefully, your appetite is wonderfully regulated where you realize you're not really hungry for those fat sources, they're just part of your day and you could probably get by with straight coffee instead of the high butter coffee or wherever you're going to look to optimize and create that natural caloric deficit. Maybe it's only 300 calories a day, which is nothing. What is that? Two tablespoons of butter or something? Uh, So if you can kind of just back off a tiny bit overall, guess what? 300 calories a day times 11 days, 12 days, there's a pound of excess body fat gone. Over a month's time, we're talking two and a half, three pounds of excess body fat, not two and a half, three pounds of weight, which we know we can fluctuate day to day by a pound or two or three or five, especially if we're athletic. Oh no, I'm talking about real honest to goodness, losing excess body fat, which if you lose even a pound or two, you will have a noticeable impact in your appearance and how your clothes fit. So very simple and easy to drop excess body fat, just dialing down your intake of. Dietary fat. Notice I'm talking about fat, not protein or carbs, right? Because protein, we're not going to mess with much. We have a daily minimum requirement for protein, or I should say optimal requirement of 0.7 grams per pound of lean body mass per day. Average. Doesn't have to be every day. But if we average around there, we're going to ensure our basic metabolic needs are taken care of, basic health functions, the building blocks of life or protein. So we're going to get into that range somewhere and be careful not to overconsume protein, which is a common problem as well, and that can lead to overstimulation of growth factors, uh, in- increasing disease risk. And also when you overconsume protein, it can possibly be converted into glucose and contributing to uh, uh, fat storage and things like that, especially in the carbohydrate paradigm. So protein, there's no need to increase or go on a, a decrease protein binge because that's just going to make you feel like crap. And a lot of people, as an aside, are concerned, am I consuming enough protein? And the answer is most likely yes, because it's not hard to get to that protein number. Um, A great reference from Dr. Chris Kresser, he said, look, if you're under-consuming protein, like habitually under-consuming protein, you are going to very soon start feeling like heck, not recovering from your workouts, possibly losing lean mass, which is very noticeable. You look like heck too. Your skin... Your, your face gets hollowed out or you start to get emaciated, and it's not going to last very long. In fact, you're going to experience intense cravings for protein-rich foods because of anything. When you get low on protein, that is a life or death matter. When you get low on fat, let's go back to our primal example and our ancestors starving for the winter, oh my gosh, they're going to go to their body fat stores and live for a very long time through winter, for example, just by burning stored body fat. So, Uh, being deficient on fat in your diet, no big deal. Most people will probably uh, be be happy with dropping some excess pounds. Deficient on protein, we're talking about you're going to eat yourself, eat yourself, lose that lean muscle mass, and then get into very dire circumstances. So you're not going to let that go unchecked. You're going to have intense cravings for protein if you're under-consuming protein. If you're over-consuming protein, different story. That's when, you know, as a lifetime pattern, which many people... Uh, are engaging in. Um, We're talking about overstimulating mTOR and IGF-1 and increasing your risk of cancer. So no need to go looking Uh, diligently for excess sources of protein. I know the protein supplementation industry is huge business and those products do have a time and a place and a proper application for the athletic types that are looking for a convenient source on the go to assist with recovery, but not a lot of people need to go looking for tons of excess protein. And I'm not mentioning carbs either because we're already making the assumption that you're keto and you're limiting to those commonly cited levels Of 50 grams uh, gross carbohydrate intake per day or below. And that's the official uh, keto reset position that we want you to strive for 50 or below. If you're active, if you're not active, get active, man. Forget the rest. Yeah, you need to consume fewer if you're not active. Uh, But 50 grams per day or less, knowing that you get a free pass on leafy green uh, high fiber above ground vegetables, the cruciferous family, the leafy green family, Uh, Avocados as well. We don't bother counting those. They have so much nutritional value, so much fiber, they're not going to harm your keto goals. So, all the rest coming up to around 50. Okay, so if you're trying to uh, drop fat and not successfully as you wish, just try to um, back off on the dietary fat consumption. Okay, next, if you're exercising in chronic or depleting patterns, aren't moving adequately during the day, and or have excess artificial light and digital stimulation after dark messing and with your sleep, you are sabotaging your fat loss efforts, even if you adhere to ketogenic diet, diet guidelines. Science validates that adverse lifestyle practices outside of diet dysregulate your appetite and fat storage hormonal processes and push you back in the direction of carb dependency. Finally, if you feel like you've got all the aforementioned concerns handled, dig deeper with a Medical provider. The functional medicine scene is booming now. It's so wonderful to have people looking beyond the very basics of disease based Western medicine, where you're either cancer free or not, but they're not looking at that functional aspect of, hey, what's going on? Why isn't this person losing weight? Do they have a problem with fat burning? Dr. Kate Shanahan's working on a new book uh, covering this topic. Can't wait to see that come out uh, of the problem of dysfunctional fat metabolism, where you're working hard in the gym. You're watching your diet. You're watching your calories. You're watching your carbs, and the fat's still not coming off. One possible, uh, very disturbing reason is that you've consumed these highly refined polyunsaturated vegetable oils over your lifetime, and these dysfunctional molecules attach to healthy molecules, fat molecules in the body, and they have a tendency to stay there, man. Even when you're burning the healthy natural sources of fat right off, you got these toxic. Uh, you got toxic fat sitting on your body. And even if you are able to burn those off, you dump that stuff into the bloodstream quickly, you're going to feel like heck and probably alter your course of uh, accelerated fat metabolism. It's nasty stuff. So get rid of those vegetable oils, immediate 100% removal uh, from your diet to save your life and help progress toward uh, better, better results with fat metabolism. Okay, now we can get into some rapid-fire questions such as that from Randall. In the book, Keto Reset Diet, you guys mention a list of stress factors that will induce carb dependency, like overtraining. But if you're in deep nutritional ketosis, what biological consequences do you suffer from outside of carb cravings? If you use up your glycogen storage, doesn't it replenish via metabolizing ketones? It seems that so long as we can power through any cravings, training hard would be inconsequential to our metabolic state. Uh, that's a very thoughtful question. I appreciate that. You get what he's talking about? It's like uh, the warning sign of, hey, don't train too hard or you're going to get carb cravings. What if you're a badass and just ignore that and carry on? And I'm going to reference the topic of gluconeogenesis that I just discussed in the, the passage answering the question, why aren't you losing fat, and argue that if you are exercising too hard and you refuse those carbs, so you're not going to go binge and backslide and tailspin into Ben and Jerry's world, you still might trigger the process of gluconeogenesis converting lean muscle tissue or ingested amino acids, if you're eating enough, into glucose. So you're activating the fight or flight response through your overtraining patterns, and still compromising your health goals. You're not getting as keto-adapted as you could be because your body, under stress, is going to uh, trigger that, uh, that glucose conversion. Maybe not as bad as the next dude who is not in strict nutritional ketosis, but I guess in conclusion, let's challenge the premise of the question because uh, I know you didn't intend it this way, but uh, if you're asking for permission... To continue to train too hard because you're a badass keto person, I think we have a flawed premise. Uh, but it's an excellent, uh, thoughtful question to think like: if we can overcome cravings, can we mitigate some of the damage? So I'll say a little bit yes, and then mostly let's respect the the dangers of gluconeogenesis and the overall health impact of overtraining. Sheila, I've tried all the suggested remedies at various times, and together still have a problem with muscle cramps. The only time I don't have any cramping in my legs or feet at night is when I've eaten more than 50 grams of total carbs. I'm a 65-year-old female. I've been eating keto for several months. I like the benefits of keto, but this side effect really bothers me and disrupts my sleep. Will this ever get better, or are some people not built for keto? No, Sheila, suck it up. Ignore the cramps, just like the last question asked. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, well. Interesting. Cramping is not a good sign. In the athletic world, it appears, I've done a lot of research on this because I was not able to give great answers to my clients and in writing the book trying to describe cramps, it appears that they come largely from overexerting yourself in a manner that you're not used to, right? So you do a ride that's way over your head and it's hot and uh, uh, difficult conditions and you cramp that night. Uh, of course, makes perfect sense, understandable. So if this diet is something that's new to you, you don't mention how long you've been at it or any of those outside circumstances. So in this rare case, I would have appreciated more details. We can take some of those details off of the people that write way too much detail. (laughs) Anyway, um, maybe there's some circumstances going on that keto is too stressful for you, uh, but I'd say even more likely you might have to uh, focus on your mineral and electrolyte consumption and hit those big picture variables, such as increasing sodium intake, increasing potassium inca- intake, and increasing magnesium intake. So, the sodium, uh, we bantered this number around a lot four to eight grams. That's like one to two teaspoons of added high quality sodium. So, get a product like real salt or Himalayan pink salt or nice pure sea salt and throw that in a pinch into every beverage that you drink throughout the day, especially when you're trying to hydrate. Taking a little sodium in at the same time will really help you assimilate that fluid into all the tissues throughout your body rather than just excrete it as if you were drinking a big uh, slam of a gallon of water after a hot, sweaty workout. Much less effective hydration strategy than sipping a solution that contains a little sodium throughout the day. Uh, Potassium, we talked about the avocado, magnesium, some quality supplements to make sure, even though I know you're eating your leafy greens and those magnesium-rich foods, let's get those electrolytes and minerals handled and see if your cramping uh, improves, and also look at your training, making sure that you're not doing anything that resembles chronic patterns. Jill! Hi, Jill! Brad, you mentioned a period of upping your calories uh, eating nutritious food when you were eating and how well that worked for you. My question is whether you were hungry for that increased quantity or just eating more calories to get them in as an experiment, right? That's my stumbling block with intermittent fasting. How to balance protein amount one should consume when intermittent fasting and eating when hunger ensues naturally. Uh, Another good point. Thank you, Jill, uh, because if you are keto, you experience that wonderful benefit of appetite regulation. So I'm not getting these intense hunger sensations like I did back in my days as a hard training athlete in the carbohydrate dependency paradigm, where if there was no food available about 10 or 1030 in the morning, I'd be ready to pass out because I was such a high volume carbohydrate consumer and carbohydrate burner. So when you're keto, you're cruising along, you forget about eating and all those uh, wonderful touted benefits that people are talking about left and right. Uh, But in my case, when I was pairing my athletic goals, my advanced age of 53, and my ketogenic state where my appetite was regulated, I speculated, just in the interest of science and trying something new, I speculated that maybe I could benefit from consuming more calories at the uh, distinct suggestion of my com consultants, Chris Kelly and Tommy Wood. So I went about on that course of action and started uh, mixing and matching Certain mornings where I started with this super nutritious green smoothie with a bunch of performance agents in there and plenty of greens, and getting a nutritious source of calories to start my day early on in the day. Also inspired by the work of Dr. Sachin Panda and those great podcast interviews that he's done with Rhonda Patrick. You can look for those on YouTube where they get deep into the science of digestive circadian rhythm. The nature of Dr. Panda's studies down there in San Diego, and how it might be an advisable strategy to, uh, first of all, limit your food intake strictly into a 12-hour window maximum. I know a lot of keto people are eating in a much more narrow window, 8-hour window. Mark Sisson's more like a 6-hour window where it's 1 to 7 p.m. where all the calories come in. Todd White, my man at dryfarmwines.com, oh my gosh, he's eating once a day at dinner. And having this lavish celebratory dinner with all the completely clean, sugar-free, chemical-free, dry farm wines that you can find at his website. The world's only keto-friendly wine club where you know you're not getting any sugar in this stuff. And oh my gosh, they are so delicious. And after you hear the podcast uh, that I'll publish pretty soon on the Get Over Yourself podcast, my new podcast, you will never again buy regular commercial wine. So all that stuff to consider When you're um, trying to optimize your digestive circadian rhythm. So, in other words, if you consume something first thing in the morning, you're turning on your digestive clock. You're telling your body it's time to wake up and get energized. And it could be a beneficial health practice, but most especially shutting things down 12 hours later. And Dr. Panda makes the distinction that when you ingest any xenobiotic substance, that means any substance that requires breaking down by the digestive system, the liver, you have started your digestive clock, even if there's no calories in it. So a cup of uh, black coffee, a glass of herbal tea, anything that you ingest besides water. Water is not xenobiotic. It's part of the body. You don't have to do anything. It goes in. Okay. So anything starts the clock, even if there's no calories. So that's something to be mindful of really, because if I look back, I can reference uh taking that herbal tea first thing in the cold winter morning, right, at 7 a.m. or whatever, and then nibbling on my dark chocolate at 9 p.m. or 9.30 p.m., having another square at 9.45, and all of a sudden I've exceeded my 12-hour digestive window. And for optimal uh, hormonal immune function system repair, we want to shut that digestive system down for minimum 12 hours every day, and that will facilitate a good restful sleep and repair. So, fun, interesting stuff that I've experimented with uh, starting my day with an ingestion of something. And now, as a matter of fact, even on those days when I'm fasting, which I will throw in regularly uh, right up next to the previous day with the smoothie, no special rhyme or reason or pattern to it, but I do uh, enjoy those wonderful benefits of uh, eating in the keto zone, uh, having those long periods of, of fasting to accelerate uh, things like autophagy, the natural cellular detoxification process. So I'm mixing and matching and going in that intuitive pattern. Uh, But even on those days when I'm fasting until my midday meal, I'll often start my day with kombucha because I've become a badass home kombucha maker. I'm brewing three gallons at a time and drinking that amount of kombucha every two weeks That's what happens when it's free. Instead of $3.25 a bottle, you just slam that stuff down. So that is a very low in calorie drink when you're talking about a natural homemade batch, not the stuff in the store that's artificially sweetened and pumped full of carbonation after it comes through the kombucha process. But this is the real deal stuff where almost all the sugar has fermented out and you're getting a nice tasting high probiotic beverage. So I'll drink that first thing in the morning just to start my digestive clock who knows how many calories it has, 12, 20, I don't know, a few grams of carbs. I don't think it's uh, messing with any of my ketogenic goals or any other goals otherwise. So that's to answer Jill's question. Um, But your last sentence was how to balance protein consumption uh, with fasting and eating when hunger ensues naturally. And we talked about that protein aspect where it's really not something to worry about too much. Whether you're a hardcore vegan or a hardcore uh, bacon and butter keto person, You're probably getting enough protein, and if you're not, you're going to feel like crap. Simple. Take a deep breath, relax, and make sure you don't go looking for tons of extra protein. Jim, thanks for the question. I caught the podcast this morning, and I'm moved to submit a question. Pretty much everything I've read about Primal and Keto is focused on younger people, given that I now am at an age where everyone is pretty much younger than me. Dang. What about me, man? Maybe my listeners are mostly younger than me. I wonder. Maybe I'm right in the middle. I don't know. What's the keto community like? Weigh in, everybody. Put your age and send an email and bombard the inbox. 23, 38. This guy's 70, a young 70. I feel healthier now at 70 than I ever was at 20. That's almost entirely due to you and Mark. Oh man, thanks a lot. Uh, You know what? Me too, man. Um, I'm 53, and I feel healthier than I was when I was the national champion and third-ranked professional triathlete in the world at the height of my career, the height of my powers at age 26 back in 1991. I was very well-suited to go fast at the Olympic distance triathlon length of mile swim, 25-mile bike, six-mile run, but that's about all I was good for in life. I was a sorry-ass overall fitness person. I would have flunked the CrossFit Games or the warrior Ninja Warrior Challenge. All I could do was just go fast, straight ahead in those three sports. And the rest of my life, I was pretty much on the edge of fatigue and exhaustion and laying around and sleeping and not doing much except for recovering. And thank gosh, honing some life skills where I like to write a lot to balance all the physical activity. I would work my brain on the computer and sit down and write, but I was sitting around or training in those three sports and not much else. And Due to the extreme nature of the training, uh I was exhausted most of the time, had all sort of uh, uh, troubling uh result in my blood test, which I would get tested all the time. My testosterone was clinically low quite a lot of the time. My hematocrit would dive down under forty, and that means my red blood cell count was low, so I'd feel fatigued and burnt out because of all the traveling and all the racing and Gee, now you wonder um when, when you realize what's happened in the endurance sports since I retired. Uh, in the mid '90s, and the introduction of these blood products like EPO, where you can peg your red blood cell count at very high, you basically wake up every day and you don't feel the natural effects of fatigue accumulation from uh, prolonged endurance workouts. And uh, it's kind of a mind blow to, for me to shake my head and wonder, like, just how much I struggled and how tired I was, and how I'd get a bad blood result and have to rest for two weeks and sit around and eat hamburgers and eat liver and watch TV. And then I'd start to feel a little bit better and ease my way back into training and to just reflect back and think, wow, if I was doped off my ass for all those years of triathlon, I would have woken up every single day and I would have been basically superhuman. I would have won races by minutes and, uh, you know, had a shower before second place came in. So, man, I'm glad I was not in a drug-infested sport because that's a pretty heavy uh, uh, moral consequence to consider that basically you're racing against superhuman people and you either uh, join them or quit or uh, get your butt kicked and complain. Those are the three uh, let's make a deal doors if you're in a dirty sport and you wish to preserve your uh, moral superiority or not uh, taint your body with those drugs. But now that I'm on the side, speaking of that, I also will argue that if you're a Tour de France cyclist or a high-performing elite triathlete doing that crazy training that we used to do, it most likely would have been healthier overall for my long-term health, as well as my health at the time, if I were doped off my ass because the training would have been consequently less stressful. We know it was extremely unhealthy to begin with, so Mr. Clean Boy here, who completed his career without even taking so much as an Advil or a Motrin or an aspirin or anything, no alcohol, well, maybe, okay, wait a sec. Yeah, after a few of those races, I had some alcohol. It was either after a horribly crappy race where I bombed out and dropped out and was bummed or after a win. So my alcoholic beverages were consumed uh, in that do or die method. (laughs) But other than that, I really did not want to put any foreign substance into my body. I swore off caffeine during the duration of my triathlon career and still do because I wanted to experience whatever fatigue I had. I wanted to experience the full effect of that rather than mask it with a central nervous system stimulant, thereby I could make the best and most informed training decision. Because if you jack up on caffeine for three, four, five days at a time, you could dig yourself a wonderfully impressive hole and have a difficult time getting out of it. So man, nothing going into this body and I certainly did pay the price for it. I struggled, I torched my uh, my endocrine system, my immune system, I'd get sick all the time, I'd get that hypo. Uh, testosterone condition where I was just a a sorry sack of crap on the couch for weeks and weeks until I came out of it naturally. So it's definitely something to ponder and uh, interesting to reflect upon for all of us, how you know we disparage these Tour de France athletes and how dare Lance Armstrong deceive the public with his doping regimen. But these guys were facing a whole set of circumstances that we have no appreciation about, one of them being the health consequences of doing that stupid shit. And second, being the competitive environment where if everyone's doing it, you almost have no choice. Eh, you can get me going on a whole show about that. And in fact, Mark and I did, I think, two shows on doping. So go back into the Primal Blueprint podcast archives and listen to that stuff. Listen to two old timers go off. And that all came in the middle of Jim's question about being 70 and addressing some particulars for the older age groups. Oh my gosh. Okay, back to reality. My wife and I walk 3 plus miles every morning. We do this every day regardless of weather. In our home near Dallas, that can mean the low 20s to the low 100s, so it's often challenging. No kidding, man. All, all you folks at home, get out a map and look at uh the state of Texas and the big cities Dallas, San Antonio, Houston. Um there is absolutely no uh protection or interruption uh, of mountain ranges between there and the hinterlands of Saskatchewan and Manitoba, Canada. So these winter storms brew up there and they will blow across the Great Plains of, in order, stacked North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, and boom, overnight, literally, you can go from 70, 80 degrees pleasant spring day, and the next morning it's 28 with a wind chill. Crazy stuff. And this is not even from a guy who's from Texas and hasn't even been there that much. I just have a very impressive knowledge base that I like to spew on the show. Uh, Actually, what happened was I flew in for a race in San Antonio, Texas, way back in the 80s, and we had our little course preview on a sunny 73-degree spring day in April, and then we woke up the next morning and could not believe what kind of weather we were facing. It was like Dorothy and Toto in the hurricane, and it was sub-freezing, and they canceled the race. It was like, holy crap. Never happened in California, promise you that. Okay, so that's two grand asides on Jim's question. May we finish the question? I don't know. Let's see. I went from primal to keto uh, in February. Since then, I've lost 27 pounds and gone from a 38 tight waist jean to a 34 loose fit. My question is about sleep. I average somewhere between five and six hours a night. I never use an alarm. I just get up when I get up. After our morning walk, we have coffee, coconut milk in my case, a pseudo-granola bar that we make using a primal recipe. Around noon, we have our big meal, keto meal. After finishing lunch, I get really tired and have to take a nap, 20 minutes reading my uh, web comics for the day and another 20 dozing off. Then I'm good for the day. At night, I'll eat a small keto-friendly snack. Tracking with the Mercola chronometer, I end up eating 1,100 to 1,500 calories a day, which seems to keep me steadily losing weight. Of all the seniors I know... I'm the only person who takes no prescriptions. Congratulations. You're a freaking hero, man. We don't want to go down with with pump full of drugs. We want to go down naturally and steadily and gradually, gradually and gracefully. Like my dad, who's 96 and has had an incredibly fantastic run of optimal health and slowing steadily and gradually. And now he's down to taking a half a mile walk around the park each morning as his main form of exercise but hey, he gets around that park, and that's an impressive accomplishment for that age. And he's still hanging on, right? So we want to just have that gradual, graceful decline. Uh, he also takes Cherry Flex. It's a supplement made from a Michigan tart cherry, and it's awesome for arthritis. This show is brought to you by Cherry Flex. Go to their website. Man, should we go get him to sponsor? Sounds like a cool, uh, cool product, especially for arthritis. Anyway, here's the the punchline. I feel like I should be getting the amazing energy boost that others have raved about, but I honestly have not seen it. Maybe it's just old age. I don't have any reference for that. My awesome doctor has already done all the blood work to verify that everything is okay. Gee, Jim, you sound great, man. I mean, all those success factors and uh, losing weight, having the healthy meal patterns, but I do want to identify a couple comments. Let's see what the listeners think. First of all, since February until whenever you wrote the question, which could have been only in May or June, right? In a very short time, you've lost 27 pounds. That is a wonderful thing, but it's also a stressful event to your body. You're changing your entire body composition in a short time, accelerating your fat burning, and that might not lend toward awesome, exceptional energy. So once you've gotten down to an optimal weight, which maybe you are right now, uh, maybe you'll experience an energy boost from stopping that runaway train of weight loss. That's my first uh, conjecture. The second one is you're sleeping five to six hours a night. So I'm really concerned about uh, that minimal level of sleep. We have great research coming out. Uh, There's a lady named Sherry Ma at UC San Francisco that wrote a great article Uh, Matthew Walker appeared on the Joe Rogan podcast for a three-hour or whatever super-long diatribe on all the sleep problems of modern society and some very, very disturbing stats, and one of them was males who sleep six hours a night or less have a testosterone count uh, equivalent to men 10 years their senior. So we don't want to be messing with that, especially at age 70, and having the testosterone count of a man age 80. You want to have, with all these optimal lifestyle factors and no prescription drugs, you want to have the testosterone count of a man, (laughs) 50, 40, which is still not that impressive for the average guy in their 40s Is already taking uh, testosterone supplementation. Something like 40% of the uh, testosterone prescriptions are coming to men under 50, which is kind of a disastrous statistic. Uh, But I would really zero in on that sleep aspect. I'm very concerned about that. Uh, I'm congratulating you for... Uh, Taking the nap every afternoon. That's a great way to boost testosterone, but there's got to be some way that you can uh, optimize your evening sleep to get more than five or six hours a night. And so I'm going to speculate are you consuming a lot of artificial light and digital stimulation after dark that could possibly be throwing you off of your optimal sleep patterns? Uh, Finally, my last thing that I red flag that I saw was the fact that your chronometer, if it's accurate, is telling you that you're eating 1,100 to 1,500 calories a day. That is not a lot of calories for uh, an active, uh, enthusiastic 70-year-old man. That is probably a effective strategy to drop uh, that 27 pounds in a very short time. Um, so that was a health-boosting practice to go on this diet. But at a certain point, especially as you complain about uh, declining uh, suboptimal energy levels, I would say that consuming uh, larger amounts of healthy, nutritious foods and getting more sleep might give you that boost in energy. Hopefully you've finished with your crazy weight loss adventure. Congratulations, what a great question. And let us all aspire to uh, a similar existence when we're 70, especially taking that three mile walk with your wife every morning. That's like, um, you know, Prevent divorce, take a three mile walk with your wife every morning. start your day connecting in that manner, talking. You're away from digital stimulation, unless you're both listening to headphones. I don't know, I hope not. But huh, oh, what a great story. Okay. And rain or shine too. I love that. You know what? That was a great show, guys. I appreciate you so much for writing these wonderful questions. Write more to info at ketoreset. com. Also feedback on the show. How you like it? Do I talk too fast? Yes, I'll try to slow that down and always enjoying engaging with you, definitely take a look at ketoreset.com. That's everything we have to offer. I really think you'd have a great experience participating in the course, and that's why I'm offering that fabulous 20% discount to go punch in there. For being a devoted listener to the keto episode of the Primal Blueprint Podcast, this is Brad Kearns. Until next time. Pull up to the Roscoes. Only got here cause niggas from here. Know you gotta swerve around the potholes. Eating chickens with these chickens politicking. We gonna get a new team. Hi listeners, it's Brad Kearns. I'm so excited to introduce you to our all new comprehensive online multimedia course called the 21 Day Primal Reset. This is everything you need go step-by-step into a lifestyle transformation and go primal, go all in, make the commitment. We are here with an amazing online course with over 60 videos taking you through step-by-step daily challenges in the areas of diet, exercise, and lifestyle. You also get to download an assortment of print and audio materials. We have an awesome app that helps you engage with the community while you're doing your 21-day reset daily inspirational emails keeping you focused, giving you tips and tricks. We have shopping lists, PDFs. Oh, it's a great collection of items all on the login portal as soon as you register instant and lifetime access, everything you need. What a great gift to give someone, family, friend, loved one that you want to share the gift of primal living with. And even if you're an expert long-term, what a great way to kind of tune up and get that reset going, build some momentum if your goals are reducing excess body fat, be in health, and staying with the Primal program for the rest of your life. That's what this journey is, is a kickstart to generate long-term, lasting lifestyle change. And when you enroll at PrimalBlueprint.com, we have a wonderful selection of add-on product kits at an extreme discount to thank you for enrolling in the digital course. So you can throw in some wonderful Primal kitchen products or Primal Blueprint supplements. Check it all out at PrimalBlueprint.com. Everyone does A reset, you deserve a reset. Make the commitment for 21 days, and we'll be with you every step of the way to guide you.